Welcome, everyone. I'm Steve McDonald, your host for the B2B Marketing Perspectives podcast. And today we've got a gentleman who has served, Ken, what, over 100 B2B SaaS clients over the years. So the amount of wealth of information that Ken has, he's going to share for us today, Ken Lempett from the Austin Lawrence Group is here. And we're going to be talking all about the one-man band, the marketing department of one. How do you get things done? How do you prioritize? How do you create success? So Ken, with that introduction, maybe give us a little bit more about your background in the Austin Lawrence Group, and then we'll get started. Thanks so much, Steve. Um, Austin Lawrence is a demand generation agency, and um, we focus on helping software as a service companies to accelerate growth and uh, enhance the profitability of their relationships with their customers. Um, we're highly focused on the B2B SaaS marketplace, and that's allowed us to develop expertise that makes our advice and the, the program designs that we um, work with on our clients just that much more valuable. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation. No problem. So. Let's get into it, because what we're talking about today is the company, the profile could be a startup, well-funded, it could be bootstrapped, it could be a number of different things, but there's a lot of times where there's one person that's being hired and in charge of marketing, and we've got to get the job done. How do you, what's your advice, or how do you work with those kind of companies? Do you kind of just get us started in that direction? Sure. Um so the the one person marketing department is it's a it's a subset of the of the universe of you know of marketing departments and it does tend to be either the um you know the young company early stage seed seed round or in today's world even an angel round company um or they're bootstrapped and it's um privately held and the the founder or founders are you know they're careful with their budgets and they tend to in both cases rely on the service of one person to be responsible for everything that marketing might do. And in these companies, that's quite a range of responsibilities. And it um, the implications are that there's a lot of possibility to not do everything or not do everything well. And that creates some friction between the head of marketing and the, the founder, head of sales, uh, and CFO, if they have that kind of function at these firms. So what is your advice? I mean, obviously, one person can't do everything, right? You can't be the full content team. You can't be the full demand gen team, right? You're you're working with sales and sales enablement, and there's, you know, so much to do. Um, SEO, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. So what's your advice? You know, if you're the one-man band, and you're trying to create success, you're trying to to prove there's a track record and growth in the company, what would you recommend? So I, I think we should step back a little bit and ask ourselves, how do we get there, right? Like, how does this person get there? And and in fact, even before one gets into that position, like, should you take that job? Because it's a really hard job to succeed in. So I just want to sort of look at the arc from, I'm considering a job working as the one person marketing department. So obviously I think it's a lot more attractive if we don't have the job yet to be looking at the firm that's on uh, a growth trajectory. So one could research 
on LinkedIn, for example, the, the employee growth over the last six months, a year, and two years. So the firms that are on a growth trajectory gives you the opportunity to be associated with a firm that's going to staff that department in the future, as opposed to hold you steady as a single person trying to run marketing for an organization. In either case, looking at that opportunity, I think you need to negotiate with the CEO in advance. <laughs> Sorry. Need to you, before you take a, a position in this situation, one really needs to negotiate with the CEO in advance. What are the expectations? You know, what do you think I can do as an individual contributor? And what resources are you going to provide, mostly budget, if it's not other people, so that I can accomplish this wide range of responsibilities? Um, from that conversation, and if you're already in the job, this conversation also has to happen, setting expectations that a small marketing group can achieve. And that requires prioritizing based on the objectives of the CEO and the head of sales, and then the head of finance, whatever that person looks like. If you, if you don't have alignment with these folks, it's not going to take long before somebody's unhappy with what you're doing. So, you know, if you're not driving enough opportunity, the head of sales is going to be unhappy. If you're spending money at too great a rate or at the wrong time, like if your timing is bad for the CFO or head of finance, um, that could cause friction. Or if either of those functional leaders or someone in customer success is not happy with what marketing is producing, CEO is going to come to you and say, hey, what gives? So it's a really hard hard spot to be in. Um, so I'd say negotiating expectations and um, making plans that you know you can achieve. So just because somebody communicates, I'd like to, the head of sales says, we need to grow revenues 100% in the next nine months. What is marketing's task there? You know, what, what percentage of that revenue should be attributable to marketing? Um, what is our contribution going to be and look like? Like, how are we going to track that? Um, you have to make sure those commitments that are sought from you are things that you and whatever resources you're going to add on to yourself are going to be able to accomplish. So I think it's, um, it's, it's actually a more complicated job in some ways than if you have five or six people working for you. It's interesting in that way. You know, um, is one of those things that you want to research or you want to have the right set of expectations, ask before you get the job. There's a lot of underfunded marketing departments, Right. So typically, if you're the only one in the department, you also better be looking at what your budget is, right? And what you have to work with. You know, are you working with outside agencies? Right? Do you have the funding in order to do that? You know, and, you know, yeah, I, I like the, the internal goals and the priorities. And hopefully it's more than the CEO saying, what I need from you is leads, right? You know, I mean, because that's, uh, and again, the whole discussion of MQL here, but what's your what's your thought about that? Like in, in terms of the funding of that department? Well, in our society, no one likes to talk about money and it's maybe the most important conversation we can ever have in our personal and professional lives. You know, we have to be able to be honest about the role of money in getting us what we want in life, you know, whether it's 
um, creating revenue in a B2B SaaS or, um, you know, the beach house that we'd really like to have as a result of all our hard work. Um, so, you know, having good conversations with our significant others and our kids about money also important. Um, so money definitely is, is a factor and probably, um, I'd say it's one of the harder conversations to have on the way in, but can be one of the most fruitful. And a way to approach that, from my perspective, is to benchmark the firm you're looking at or working at. So either opportunity to be hired or you're already there. Um, take a look at benchmarks for the spend in your cohort. And there's three great resources out there that um, will help CMOs to negotiate more effectively, um, depending on the cohort and the kind of negotiation you're trying to have. So you can look at OpenView Venture Partners. They publish a, just a wealth of information, um, benchmarking uh, often product-led growth companies, but not exclusively. Um, the uh, KeyBank Capital Markets also publishes uh, an annual set of benchmarks. And then the last one is a firm called SaaS Capital also publishes benchmarks. Within all three of those, they, they survey annually hundreds of firms, uh, primarily privately held, and would provide you the slice of the world you're in. So if you're privately held and bootstrapped and you have revenues of 10 to $30 million, they've got a data point for you on what should the percentage of revenues be uh, for marketing. Um, you know, loaded with salary and what other stuff. So yeah, it's a great place to start. That's a really great place to start because then you're not the one saying, this is what I think. You have your rationale, but you can actually go in and you can say, look, what you're asking me to do and the, and the objectives we're trying to accomplish, just know we're underfunded in order to do that, right? And and here's the data to support it. Yeah, I mean, um, those those firms, especially, um, you know, the venture field companies, the growth expectations are high. So you know, you can't you can't tell a bootstrapped CEO that he needs to benchmark to a you know highly venture fueled you know rocket ship kind of trajectory. But you can say, hey, if we're going to grow a third of the of the pace of the venture field firms, we should be thinking, you know, twenty to forty percent of their budget should be our budget. Um, you know, the the VC funded entities are not direct comparisons, but they're sometimes our direct competitors. You know, and so if your space is uh, homogenous between venture funded and privately funded or, you know, bootstrapped entities, and you're in a bootstrap and you're competing with, you know, two or three or more venture field companies, like it or not, you know, you have to, you have to mark to market somewhere. And so either that's in how much you invest in marketing or what you expect to get out of it. Right. But you have to, you have to mark to market. There's just no, no getting around it. You know, until we've, We've talked about, you know, setting the expectations, you know, what your objectives are, what your level of funding is. So that's all that you're set up so that you actually have the resources to orchestrate a marketing plan and put it into place. All marketing plans for in the B2B world, right, content is the fuel for the marketing plan for the demand generation. And so can I warn you, 
before we started pushing the record button here, I asked this of all my guests. And as an agency service, servicing hundreds of clients, um, if you were to put a rating on the importance of content for these B2B companies, one, it's not important at all to the growth of the company or success of the company. 10, it's vital to the growth and success of the company. What's your rating and in, 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 in why? So I'm going to give you a pretty, I'm going to take a few minutes with this, give you something of a long answer. Okay. So the short answer is um, credible content is vital to the growth of a B2B sales organization, B2B software, any B2B marketing organization. Credible content is king. However, the fact is that our prospects are looking beyond vendor supplied content um, to get the information that they need to make a decision. So, um, and, and what I'd say is they're looking primarily first beyond our websites for that information. So if we can participate where they do in Slack groups or in Facebook groups or wherever they congregate, you know, around a page on LinkedIn um, and socialize our content there in a credible way, it gets much more valuable. So for example, in the marketing community, many of your listeners may be in the peak community. We've found that um, that's a great place for our content to be surfaced. Um, we have a new CMO, new head of marketing, first 100 day guide. And um, we found when somebody says, hey, I just took a new job and you know, I'm trying to figure out what to do, you know, offering up that 100 day guide is universally well appreciated. No one's coming to my website to download that guide, I can tell you that. Yeah. So, um, but in the right context, it's hugely valuable and appreciated. Um, so let's talk a little further though about the value of content and why thought leadership in particular is so vital. In a lot of markets, both mature and emerging, there's, I think it's fair to say that about three to 4% of people in those markets are looking for a solution at any one time. And that's like where demand capture as we now call lead generation occurs, right? So that's at the, I'm looking for a widget with 12 sprockets and you know I'm gonna go search for a widget with 12 sprockets. But what about the other 96% of your addressable market? Those people are not necessarily problem aware. And if they're problem aware, they're not necessarily solution aware. And that's probably another 70% or more of your addressable market. However, if you have, if you're solving a real business problem for companies that are um, maybe unaware of a solution or they're even unaware of the problem, um, how do you reach them? Like they're not necessarily shopping, right? So traditional lead generation is not going to do the job. So we have to do what the folks who wrote uh, the challenger customer and the challenger sale call commercial, commercial teaching. And that's uh, Matthew Dixon and Brent Adamson. Um, so the, the general idea around commercial teaching is that you need to show people that they have a problem they may not really be aware of. They may not understand the problem that well and lead them toward 
a solution that you are uniquely or best fit to solve. And that comes from truly deeply understanding your customer's business, maybe in a way they haven't approached that search for knowledge, search for understanding, providing them insight that they can validate on their own in their own business, and then say, oh, by the way, here's one way you could solve this problem, Mr. Potential Customer, Ms. Potential Customer. And, and I think that's the role of thought leadership. It has been for a very long time and now is very well understood to really be um, critical. Um, it, the other thing about this, like three or 4% in market versus the 96 or seven is that everybody's focused on the 3%. All of us, all of us are going after the 3% and you're only going to get your share. The place where you're going to get more than your fair share is up in the funnel a little further. And that's the domain of thought leadership. So um, if we're going to focus anywhere beyond people that are looking for the, you know, the widget with 12 sprockets right now, today, I want to buy, um, you've got to go up the funnel and that's the realm of thought leadership as far as I, as far as I see the world. You know, that aligns right with, I, I had a conversation with a, a CEO of two companies last week and he's a former CMO and he's all about addressing the 97%. He said, you know, we know who the 3% are, they're raising their hands. We've got that dialed in. We're working on that. That's the mid lower funnel. He said, but we got to be known. You know, if we're not known, we're not in consideration. And he said, it's all about just adding value, what you're talking about, you know. So my my question to you is, there's plenty of studies that talk about, you know, nobody wants to be sold to. They, they in fact, they don't even engage with the company and the seller until they're 77, 70% or so the way through the research process. And, and it usually determined who they're going to talk to. So... And they want to talk to people, they want to talk to, to salespeople that are advisors, right? That, that, that help them do their job, help them understand the industry, help them understand the risks. So the expertise has to go beyond the actual product or service that that company provides. They provide that in, inside of an industry, inside of an ecosystem. If you don't understand that ecosystem, you're not able to advise within that then you're going to be left behind. That's that's one perspective. I just wanted to get your take on that, you know, the, the idea of being the expert advisor. Sure. Um, I, there's, great, there's great data out there, actually, to help marketers justify these investments. Um, LinkedIn and Edelman uh, annually do a thought leadership research project, these seeking to place a value, a specific monetary value on thought leadership and the C-suite particular, in particular. And so that's freely available. You can get it. I'm not sure you even need to give a, an email address to download it. But the impacts of thought leadership are um, greater preference, greater uh, average sales price, so like the size of the contracts goes up. The data is in there. They, they have specific numbers in, the, in this LinkedIn Edelman study. And... Um, I think that that's where we do the work of justifying investments that are not going to be today's form fill. 
right? We're not, we may not even ask for a form fill on our best thought leadership. And that's really counterintuitive. And it, it goes against what we thought we knew when we started doing inbound and content marketing, that our most prized assets should be the ones we put behind the form. Well, if it's so valuable, we want to proliferate that insight as far and wide as possible so that we get the credit for doing the hard work. And I, and I think that's what's borne out in that LinkedIn Edelman study. But, you know, it's, you know, you, you have greater access to the C-suite. You're going to get a higher average contract value, more return business. Um, thought leadership is highly prized by the people that lead the client organization, and it helps the salespeople to be more effective. This point you brought up about um, being an advisor, you give them the nuggets out of that work to open the conversation. That's their job, right? Open the conversation. One form or another, at one, in one way or another, they ultimately have to open the conversation. And so by having deep and meaningful and valuable content, thought leadership content, you help the sellers to have those conversations because they're, their job is to be great sellers. They're not, they're not necessarily the great thinkers. And right. many of them can't write, but they know how to open conversations and it's our job to help them to do that. It's sort of like being Cyrano de Bergerac, you know? You got to <laughs> feed them the lines. So Ken, if, if we were to summarize this, right? But what we're talking about here is the one person marketing department. And we're talking about the expectations, we're talking about the resources, but we're talking about that demand gen relies on that content in a big way and what kind of content. So if you could wrap this up and, and sure. give us a, a takeaway for everybody who's listening right now, what would you want them to take away from this podcast recording? So um, I think we should dive just for a couple of minutes on how to spend some money and okay. how to how to improve your odds of success because we we sort of moved a, a little bit away from that. So let's say you get an agreement from the CEO. We're going to spend you know seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars this year on marketing, and now it's go right go time. Um, you need to amplify your effectiveness as a as a sole contributor. And that's going to be a combination of technology and partnering. There are certain technologies that make you more effective as a marketer. And depending on your aptitude, experience, and the actual budget that's been set, you might use a thing like Sixth Sense to give you intent data, advertising, and just a, a lot of insight into what your addressable market is doing and responding to. That's a big ticket, though. That's a six-figure ticket. Uh, plus advertising money. However, really important on understanding what your addressable market is doing and putting the message in front of them and really narrowing. So uh, technology infrastructure, so a sixth sense, is it a HubSpot? Is it um, an Insightly? You know, where are you going to go with a marketing tech stack? You're going to need that to be more successful. Um, the if you can move your salespeople onto the same platform that marketing is on, that's going to only make you more effective and give you insight through to what those sellers are doing. One of the hardest parts for 
a, a small marketing department is to be able to see the effect of what they do in the actual selling process. So if the sales and marketing technologies are not tightly integrated, very hard to be effective. Um, then partnering with outside firms, um, you know, you should probably not be maintaining your own website. Um, you should probably not be writing all your own content. It's very hard as a single person to spend the 10 or 15 hours a month or 20 hours a month it might take to write great content at enough of a velocity. Um, so find one or two professional services firms that are going to help you um, to fill in the gaps where you can't do the work. Um, you may be a great writer and you may want to do that, or you may be a great um, marketing tech person and you want to manage the deployment of advertising, the deployment of email. Um, so take, you know, fearless moral inventory of your skills and then find some partners who can fit in on your budget and help you achieve your goals. So tech stack partners negotiate effectively internally in terms of budget and expectations and sell a vision. I think that's the thing we haven't talked about. Sell a vision to your colleagues in this firm of what marketing is going to look like 9, 12, 15, and 18 months from now. And um, maybe also be a little fearless on the creative side. Um, do something that's going to help you to stand out as an organization. Um, we did a podcast with Melissa Rosenthal, who's the chief creative officer of ClickUp. And ClickUp is doing remarkably great marketing. They've gone from 60 to more than 1,000 employees in a couple of years in no small part on the product, obviously, but I think on the marketing and sales motion as well. So don't be afraid to be creative. It'll help you get there. Fantastic. Uh, I, I know we could talk for hours, Ken, <laughs> but thank you uh, for sharing all these insights. And if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Um, I'm on LinkedIn slash in slash Ken Lempit. My email is kl at austinlawrence.com. Check out our website, should be rebuilt soon, but there's enough there to go on and uh, look forward to you know, helping in any way. So people should feel free to reach out. Fantastic. We'll put a link into all of this so that uh, if somebody wants to get a hold of you on LinkedIn, they'll know exactly how to do that. Thanks so much. This was a great time and you're right. I think we're kindred spirits. We could keep going for quite some time. And in uh, fact, would you consider being a guest on my podcast, Steve? I would love to be a guest on your podcast. Let's uh, let's figure it out. Yeah, that's great. We'll continue the conversation there. Until then. <laughs>